0: Y'all, Welcome back to another episode of the Crude Audacity Podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. As always, I'm your host, Catherine Mills. I'm a reservoir engineer with a focus on advanced characterization. All right, guys, listen up. Today, we are taking all you oil field junkies back to basics. Why basics, you ask? Because as an industry, we are losing technical skill sets. We have tried to only position ourselves into solutioning for shale, and in that craze we have foregone skill sets that are the foundation of oil and gas analytics. Worse, we have relied on round peg square hole solutions from conventional to unconventional analysis. And you wonder why people are predicting the death of shale. You wonder why the money is skeptical, I mean all of it, all the headlines, it's just the most frustrating thing. So. To kick off our Back to Basics series, we are starting with a universal topic called well testing. (laughs) And many of you will actually probably question, what is well testing? Why is it important? Why does it matter from the geos to the management? And honestly, why is it even considered a universal solution and topic for the oil field? Well, here to answer that. Dr. Ertl Ozkan. Welcome to the Crude Audacity Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) This is your first podcast. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here because you are the leading expert in well testing and uh, technical analysis. And it really is a universal topic. So... And I know that you have been doing this originally by hand and seen its evolution up into the shell boom. And while it is a skill set that many should have, it's very commonly realized that few understand it. So today we are going to hit it home. But before we do, give us your credentials. How did you get started? Why oil and gas? How did you assume the roles and responsibilities you have today? And... How did you stay so productive and proactive in industry? We need to know your full story because we like details here.
1: Well, I guess uh, this question is becoming harder and harder for me to answer (laughs) because uh, I have given so many versions of it so far. Give us your favorite version. (laughs) (laughs) What I should say, uh, first of all, it was not a chosen path. That's uh, That might be interesting for some people, but uh, I had no intentions to be a petroleum engineer, set aside an academician, a mm-hmm. professor, or I had no dreams about uh, being a professor at School of Mines. What Here did you want to
0: be?
1: I had no idea. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's why I can uh, understand very well these young people at the age of 16, 17, 18, you ask them, what do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And they are all over the place. And then uh, 10 years later, you find them in a completely different uh, path. So I just followed the opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But uh, if there was something smart I did was to be prepared, to be ready when the opportunities showed up. You were agile. Well, I think uh, I I covered the bases. (laughs) I... Learned enough mm-hmm. to be marketable. Mm-hmm. I built the skill sets uh, which uh, would be needed for survival. And Excellent. in the end, uh, when the doors uh, opened up, I just passed through. You were ready? That's and, awesome. Uh, I never regretted that. And <laughs> uh, I really like uh, the discipline we are in. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things, especially for younger generations, about uh, I'm talking about 1970s. When Ooh. I first started uh, studying petroleum engineering, <coughs> excuse me. You're fine. When we asked uh, our professors about the future of petroleum engineering, they would tell us that uh, that was about 30 years of oil to last. And some <laughs> I love <that> 40 topic. <laughs> years later, we still have the same answer. We have about 30-40 years of oil to last. Hmm. So, that means uh, we are here to stay we are not going away (laughs) that's uh, definitely uh, not the issue for me anytime and uh, all these upside ups and downs of this industry I took them as challenges rather than a disappointment or something to turn our back to this industry
0: that's excellent I love that point so it was an accident for you to get into petroleum, or rather you just didn't know what you wanted to do. So what led up to that? How how did you get into petroleum?
1: Well, I said it happened in the 1970s, <laughs> and uh, most of you were not uh, even born by that time. That's true. But <laughs> uh, there was a big oil crisis mm-hmm. and oil um, embargo, yes. and most uh, Western countries, uh, they were suffering because of... Uh, The lack of oil, everybody was uh, relearning how to ride bicycles and everything. At that time, it was not a cool thing to ride bicycles. But uh, just being a young person and not much uh, idea about uh, oil, I just thought that it was something important. Mm -hmm. So I had to make some choices. Uh, I was born and raised in Turkey. Yes. And uh, uh, Turkey was not uh, an oil-rich country. Yeah. But... uh, uh, when I entered the university entrance exam. At that time, I had to make some choices. Mm -hmm. So I saw the name, Petroleum (laughs) Engineering, I put it in the list, and it happened.
0: It was fate.
1: That's it. And I must tell you another thing, for the first two years, I was thinking that I was going to work in a refinery. Really? And I was not (laughs) disappointed when I uh, find out that it was not a refinery but some uh, remote mountain top it exactly. was still okay with me
0: <laughs> you're like yes not <laughs> downstream <laughs> <laughs> well then you graduated so where how did you find your way into golden Colorado because that's quite a story
1: well i graduated and then uh, i was not uh, ready to go to the field mm-hmm. at that time i had some uh, business to do in beautiful istanbul At that time. So I said, let me take a few more months here. So I had to have an excuse. Your gap (laughs) year? Yeah, like uh, many of our graduate students, (laughs) I started my graduate program. And then uh, I started enjoying it more and more. Mm -hmm. That was another opportunity. Turkish government was uh, giving some scholarship uh, to study for PhD in the United States. So... I won (laughs) a scholarship, and uh, I came to the United States. I spent uh, five, six years doing my PhD, went back Mm -hmm. to Turkey to pay back uh, the scholarship, 10 years at Istanbul Technical University. Okay. And then uh, came back to University of Tulsa on sabbatical. Mm -hmm. I was just uh, supposed to spend some six months or so, but during this time I wrote a proposal and I got... uh, A DOE uh, funding and uh, a small JIP project Mm -hmm. when I was working on this one a friend of mine said that give me your resume I'm going to submit it to this uh, job uh, uh, advertisement at School of Mines and I said (laughs) School of Mines well I don't think they will take me (laughs) but they did and it's been 21 years
0: That's funny. I actually thought the same thing when I submitted my application here. I was like, there's no way. (laughs) Uh Very, very willing to, or happy I took that risk. (laughs) So
1: never say never.
0: Never say never. But you're also in and out of industry. So you're definitely in academia. You've done so much for the students here. But talk to us a little bit about your industry experience as well. Because some people, they they put more emphasis on industry as opposed to academia.
1: Well, it's... uh... Definitely true, and uh, petroleum engineering is a very much uh, an applied yes. discipline. Mm-hmm. So therefore, uh, there is so much uh, interest in understanding what's going on in the field, because everything we do in academia should serve the industry. Correct. On top of this, uh, We are one discipline, one academic discipline serving only one specific industry, unlike chemical, civil, or other things. Mm -hmm. So there is this uh, direct connection between Mm -hmm. the two sides, so we have to stay close. But at the same time, if you can manage it, then uh, you can actually be in academia, but still Mm -hmm. be connected to the industry or... You can be in the industry, Mm -hmm. but still do some academic or scientific research. Mm -hmm. So that's the dual nature of our industry and that's what I enjoy.
0: I think that's excellent because we don't see that in a lot of disciplines. You're either in or you're out. And because of professors like you, we are able to bridge that gap and make industry agile while we, uh, I guess, preserve our fundamentals here in academia. But from your perspective, you've seen some highs and lows, especially getting started in the 1970s. So can you talk to us, since we are in kind of a pit right now, about your experiences in Peaks and Pits and what you're sort of seeing in similarities right now?
1: Ooh, well, uh, I <laughs> is think. Is this
0: a unique one?
1: <laughs> no, Well, you know, every time uh, when we get something mm-hmm. like this, we say that, oh, we have been that. We know what this is. And then every time when we are in it, we say, this time we are going to learn our lessons. We don't. And next (laughs) time, we always feel that it's uh, all over again and it's a new experience. So I think uh, it also makes sense because it is not the same generation. Mm -hmm. It is not the same expectations. So we have a dynamic structure. Those who are entering this industry today, they have not seen anything like this. Correct. They're all new and also they think that uh, this is just unique to our industry (laughs) this is not correct it happens in all other industries but because they have some other opportunities in different industries but staying with the same discipline same skill sets they do not feel the effect Mm -hmm. as strongly but in our case we are either in or out Mm -hmm. and uh, that was one of uh, the issues we identified in uh, 2014, yes. when oil price went down at Colorado School of Mines, we started adding some more skill sets Good. to our students' uh, background. Like, uh, But we did not definitely tell them, okay, go take uh, another master's or another uh, <laughs> major in uh, mechanical, whatever. Yeah, whatever. chemical, whatever. But instead, we said, uh, how about uh, midstream? Mm-hmm. You can take a few more Ooh. courses to that go is so in smart. that direction <laughs> or how about the data analytics it was a new topic by then so our students are now taking some data analytics type of courses. Mm-hmm. so basically you put uh, more tools into your skill set exactly. and uh, you can make yourself more marketable mm-hmm. so hopefully we are going to learn from this one both uh, individually as uh, academia and as the industry. So in the long run, uh, we keep ourselves marketable mm-hmm. when uh, the industry goes down.
0: So when you were deciding mm-hmm. how to focus your research, how did you land on well testing? Cause I mean, you really are one of the more versed individuals with PTA, RTA, understanding what it really means to analyze the reservoir. So how did you gravitate towards that in your hmm. early career? <laughs> Did it's, you get tricked uh, into that?
1: <laughs> no, actually, it's it's uh, the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was not a chosen path.
0: Are you serious?
1: Yes, because <laughs> uh, as I told you before, I came to the United States to get my PhD. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm talking about the uh, early 1980s. So it was not uh, a common thing mm-hmm. for. Uh, Someone like me to come from uh, Turkey to get a PhD degree in right. the United States, I said, this is an opportunity, so I should do the best job.
0: Yeah, exactly. I can
1: get, and then uh, when I go back, I should be useful. But uh, <laughs> I when, like
0: that, though. Some well, people I mean, don't think like that. <laughs> well, it's, uh,
1: probably it was in my nature anyway, but mm-hmm. uh, I looked around and uh, I tried to find uh, the most challenging professor in the department. In fact, the first time when I approached him, his reaction to me was uh, are you out of your mind nobody wants to work with me go think a week and then come back if you still want to do that and was he i'm scared? serious N- he was trying to scare me <laughs> and uh, eventually i g- went back and i said no i want to work with you and he said okay that's your choice and uh, <laughs> it wasn't easy i can tell you and we still uh, work together we have written so many papers we still do but uh, Uh, That was the first challenge, and the other thing is, uh, when I looked at it at that time, uh, my objective was to go back Mm -hmm. and do some work in Turkey, and I said, well, if you work with uh, experimental stuff, I may not be able to find these uh, lab capabilities and everything. And if you want to do computers, I did not know if when I went back, 1980s, all these new computer developments and everything. I was not really sure. So I decided to pick up something which I could do by a piece of paper and pencil. That's not a bad plan. That was, uh, I mean, it was nothing so uh, fancy Mm -hmm. in terms of thinking. It was just uh, an opportunistic way of looking at it. I needed to accomplish certain things. And I ended up being in pressure transient analysis.
0: Isn't that amazing though, that we are coming back to that? Because having the ability to do something not only by hand, but then bring it into the fancier technologies we have, many can't do that anymore. And now there's a push for industry to go back to the fundamentals, to back to the science. So it's kind of coming full circle.
1: Well, it's uh, of course, for me, it's natural. Mm -hmm. This is the guy. (laughs) Who got his first uh, hand calculator when he was in college. What's and it, a hand
0: calculator? No, I'm kidding. I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> of course.
1: Of course. I mean, for you, everything, even a calculator, you don't use it. It's in your... It's uh, in my cell phone. Cell phone. But uh, <laughs> at that time when I took it, uh, I could not uh, rely on this uh, little stupid thing. So <laughs> I had to hand check everything mm-hmm. for about six months. Mm-hmm. So uh, that uh, skepticism mm-hmm. about technology... Yeah. was both good and bad. And still, it sometimes uh, slows down. Yeah, But in most cases, I still want to check. Mm-hmm. Sometimes technology becomes uh, kind of a blinding factor. You just believe it mm-hmm. without really checking. And uh, technology is never perfect. Technology always needs some developments.
0: Well, your ability to... I guess, derive equations and pull them all the way down at just the top of your head. That's gonna that's gonna come up today, I'm just warning you. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so your mentors, talk to us about who they are, how they helped bring you along, and what are some of the lessons that have really resonated with you from them?
1: Hmm. Well, first of all, uh, I think uh, mentor or the mentorship. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure about uh, these words if we really understand them in the right sense because when we talk about uh, a mentor, we usually feel that uh, it's someone who can uh, show us uh, the right way of doing things, the path. Or we can benefit from their experiences Mm -hmm. or they can hold our hands and uh, walk with us and things like this. I don't think this is uh, what we need. I don't Mm. think this is what we need to do. Instead, uh, I'm more in favor of uh, giving people choices, mm-hmm. opening up their opportunities, and uh, letting them flourish okay. in their ideas and uh, expectations. So so not for, necessarily
0: following someone, but given the tools to really carve your own path.
1: Definitely. And uh, for uh, mentors, I think... Uh, of course, uh, I looked up uh, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I liked uh, what they did and how they did. Yeah. But I always uh, try to find my, my own way mm-hmm. in what I saw. So in, in general, I can say that uh, my mentor has been my life experience. That's so awesome. So that's <laughs> uh, more like a critical view of what I did. Yeah. And uh, I was fortunate enough to fail so many times and I was fortunate enough to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think uh, if there is anything smart in it, I try to learn from them. Mm -hmm. I did not try to forget them. Mm -hmm. So I always uh, stood up and (laughs) uh, learned my lessons and continued. And in that process, of course, I used advices. I read, I used science, technology, Mm -hmm. whatever is needed. But uh, I never thought that uh, there was only one solution Mm -hmm. or uh, That was only one example who could, I mean, which could be taught to me by a mentor. So I was always my own mentor.
0: That's excellent. And that's a really good advice and good point for what's happening in industry today. Cause so many times people are afraid to ask questions. They're afraid to sit there and look stupid. And sometimes that is the path forward. You have to be willing to look dumb in order to find the next step. And so many aren't doing that. So I'm glad you bring that up. Now let's get into well testing because i really look at this topic as a universal skill set that everyone from geos to management they need to have a working concept of and i think one of our biggest issues is that for the shale boom people are trying to apply conventional techniques to unconventional assets and they didn't understand them well enough to begin with so before we jump into more specifics can you give us a high level breakdown of what well testing is to help fill in the gaps for those that are saying what the heck
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well testing is uh, an interesting topic Mm -hmm. in our discipline because uh, you can use it in different forms and you can understand it in different forms too to me well testing is uh, fluid flow in porous media Mm -hmm. or in general transient fluid flow in porous media so Well-testing can be taken as uh, just looking at and analyzing pressure versus time data or rate Mm -hmm. versus time data. Yes. To me, when you go to the analysis part, you're trying to understand what's happening during the flow process in porous media. So this is the part which I have always been interested in. I wanted to understand fluid flow in porous media Mm -hmm. and well-testing is uh, nothing but uh, a reflection of it yeah. on uh, pressure versus time signature or rate versus time signature. Mm-hmm. Now, in well testing, you can have uh, three types of uh, individuals. Yes. One group, they would be interested in uh, developing all these definitions of flow and identifying their signatures. Mm-hmm. And then there can be another group who convert this understanding into some tools for okay. people to use. These days, these are mostly software developers. Correct, yeah. In the past, it would be type matching some hand uh, analysis methods, but today it's mostly software. And then there is a third group. Okay. These are the ones who just uh, would like to have some type of recipe <laughs> to follow step-by-step step yeah. and enter the data in a software package and see some colorful picture yep and uh, with the picture unfortunately these days there is a hidden button which tells you the report and even the report comes out of the software you don't need to do anything
0: are you talking about harmony what
1: (laughs) no this is uh, i mean of course uh, i'm not uh, complaining about no no these things because if you are an engineer Mm -hmm. responsible for hundreds of wells in the field and if you are asked to do these analyses in a short period of time you need these types of tools yeah but at least once in a while you should be able to find some anomalies you should say that this analysis needs some more attention Mm -hmm. and then you should be able to go back and trace what you see all the way to fluid flow in porous media. Yes. I think that's what you were talking about when we lose the foundations, the fundamentals, that's where the problem begins.
0: Well, I learned how to use software within three days after I graduated, and any questions I had, I had to go back to the software developers. It wasn't necessarily an engineer I was speaking to. And we just used RTA because that's what our neighbor did. There wasn't really any question about. Is this the right analysis for the reservoir? It just happened to be the software that was available. So I think that most engineers, while education and academia do provide a foundation, the minute we get into industry, that skill set stops, that continuation stops. So can you take us through how we got there? Because most are falling in this group three. So from the 1970s into now, how has the introduction of Uh, technology affected true well testing
1: yes first of all uh, you mentioned RTA the transient (laughs) analysis and uh, because
0: that's the solution to everything (laughs)
1: these days a lot of people think that RTA is a new development it's a new tool really it's not oh and uh,
0: I was told it was new too. well well new is in like the last 30 years
1: well, even, even 30 years would be new to me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean
0: to say yes there.
1: <laughs> but, you know, that's... Uh, when I was uh, studying mm-hmm. at school, pressure transient analysis included uh, rate transient analysis as part of it. So from a fundamental perspective, pressure and rate mm-hmm. are... Uh, on both sides of a convolution equation, mathematically. Okay. Yeah. Now, we don't need to make it that complicated. But yeah. whatever you can do, theoretically, you should be able to do it with rate. Pressure or rate, they are the same. Now, if you just look at it from practical side, in the 1970s and 1980s, mm-hmm. we quickly found out that the rate data was not as sensitive as pressure data Correct. to some uh, characteristics of reservoirs. Yes. So, for that reason, we always said that the pressure transient analysis is a better way of finding out uh, the characteristics of the reservoirs. Okay. But then, in uh, the 1990s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. when unconventional started, mm-hmm. it just started out to uh, like uh, a very low technology development. It may sound a little bit contrary to the development of uh, uh, horizontal wells with uh, fractures. People think that because we came up with these technologies, yeah. unconventional development was uh, a result of application of very complex technologies. Yeah. Well, we actually repackaged these technologies.
0: <laughs> Marketing. <laughs>
1: exactly, I mean, they were available, yeah. but uh, we found them in uh, the past, and we repackaged them in a way that they, they could provide economic uh, production yeah. from unconventionals. Yeah. It's the same thing Colonel Drake did not invent oil, he <laughs> found a way to produce it economically. And nobody invented unconventionals. We knew that unconventionals mm-hmm. were there, but yeah. we found a way to economically produce them. Now, on top of this, when you look at the developments in the past 10 to 15 years, we did not really try to analyze or understand the reservoirs. Correct. We tried to drill the wells more effectively, faster, 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 cheaper, and everything. Now
0: It was money-driven. It wasn't of science-driven.
1: And your money depends on how much you produce. That means you have to measure the rate. Yeah. That means rate data is always available.
0: RTA. RTA. That's how we <laughs>
1: came to it. But if you ask people to run a pressure buildup test, you're basically telling them to shut the well in so they will lose some production. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, they don't even have the expertise to apply pressure transient design Correct. correctly. So even if they run a pressure transient test, the results would not look as good as A standard pressure transient, or it would be similar to RTA. Yes. So that was uh, kind of uh, where we are. However, again, I'm not complaining about this because (laughs) we are practical engineers. Exactly. So whatever we use, there is a concept associated with data. It's the value of information. Correct. Every piece of information you obtain (laughs) should add value to your economics. So if you spend that much money, to run the pressure transient analysis, but in the end your project economics will not improve as much, Mm -hmm. then you don't do this. Mm -hmm. So that's why we are stuck with RTA at this moment. So we have to be realistic.
0: So can we talk about RTA and PTA in terms of the shift from conventionals to unconventionals? Because I understand RTA at the moment, but we've kind of proven, especially in the last year and a half, that shale is not going as well as everyone quote unquote expected it to. The pr- stock prices aren't changing. We are claiming bigger better IPs, but that's probably not a good KPI. I mean, we're we're looking for ways to improve those reservoirs without, you know, wine racking them to <laughs> the point where we cannot use them anymore. So from PTA RTA, the conventional to unconventional transition, what are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? What do you think an engineer who's five ten years out needs to know about this so that they are more successful?
1: Well, I guess uh, first of all, when you say shale is not going as good as we thought or not going very well,
0: money wise, look at the headlines.
1: But uh, if I look at it, it has been going the way it should go Why because is that? from the beginning we knew that. Uh, when you see these, uh, this high production period
0: mm-hmm.
1: on uh, a well, this was nothing but stimulation effect. And again, in the pressure transient theory, mm-hmm. that's uh, quite uh, common. Yes, so but basic- look at our
0: declines. Everyone's expecting a decline like a conventional asset or hoping for one, and really we're getting steeper and steeper declines.
1: This is, this is not uh, the decline period, actually. This is the drainage of your stimulated volume so after 100 days (laughs) exactly your real decline reservoir decline is at the end when you have this plateau and nobody cares about this because you make your money you make your money in the first two years yes so your focus is on uh, the stimulated volume if that's the case Mm -hmm. your best bet is to go and drill another well and start from scratch again with the high production, so on and so forth. So completion, completion, completion,
0: if money is involved.
1: Exactly. And then, of course, if you take this path, Mm -hmm. there is nothing to return to Wall Street Mm -hmm. because you always tell them that, hey, if you liked what (laughs) I did, I can do better for you. Let me drill another well for you.
0: Just watch.
1: (laughs) But uh, eventually they realized that in uh, this uh, fast pace, they never got some profit some benefits so that's what's happening so it's nothing that unusual it's not that unexpected and i think uh, if you want to see the good side now we are seeing that uh, in the unconventional area Mm -hmm. we really understand that uh, we are leaving behind not just the 90 percent even 98 percent because our actual production from these wells is no longer than. No much than one to two percent right but
0: because now. of the pressure
1: well because uh, we don't use it mm-hmm. i mean you can say that there is this much oil mm-hmm. in this location but you're only concentrating on the first two years or so yep. the rest it may be there but nobody cares about it and mm-hmm. this is a waste yeah. of some national resource Correct. we cannot continue like this this is number one number two is if you continue like this that means you're going to drill more and more wells, and you're going to increase your footprint, mm-hmm. and you're going to be a bigger target for all this opposition yes. of drilling and uh, production and everything else.
0: Brilliant plug, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but again, so you see us start as freshmen or in my con- in my case, uh, non-traditional, and, I get it. I think Ramona said it best to me. You think you know what you're doing, but you don't. <laughs> Didn't quite understand that until mm-hmm. like my first year out. But where where can we improve? Where can companies improve to make sure that we retain these technical skills so that we can look beyond the 100 days?
1: That's a, a difficult question for me to answer because Good. I can <laughs> <laughs> I can pretend uh, be the wise guy and i can make all these uh, smart suggestions and everything
0: i do that all the time don't worry about that
1: (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time at the same time we have to be realistic again because these things happen if there is a reason Mm -hmm. for it and the market is uh, one of these reasons. Yes. Things change. Yes. And uh, we learn some lessons. Sometimes not enough, but still we learn some lessons.
0: But we are in a pivot right now, and it's not a good one, so we need to learn a lot of lessons.
1: Well, we talked about this. This is not the first one. This is not going to be the last one, too. So we are going to go through this, (laughs) and uh, we will still be in business. Mm -hmm. And uh, there will be some lessons learned, and there will be a lot of lessons not learned. (laughs) <laughs> and we will keep making some mistakes. But uh, we will st- still uh, be in business and we will survive. So I think uh, I can predict that at the end of this period, uh, industry will uh, see some transformation. Mm-hmm. So instead of just uh, very small uh, drilling intensive uh, companies, we are going to have more majors mm-hmm. operating or bigger uh, uh, capital Mm -hmm. operating in these areas so that we will have a little bit more opportunities Mm -hmm. to look into the reservoir, to do better reservoir engineering. Yes. And uh, we will uh, hopefully try to understand that uh, uh, 2% recovery factors would not mean good engineering. Yes. So we are probably the only discipline in which... uh, when you recover 10% of your potential, you claim victory. <laughs> I mean, in any other business, you would yeah. be... They would laugh at you. Yeah, so <laughs> that's uh, that's the type of thing I expect. So when this happens, I think we are going to see a little bit more uh, stabilized okay. future.
0: How, um, how do you think the loss of technical skills will affect us?
1: Uh, Lost of technical skills is... Because nobody
0: uh, can do it like by hand like you can anymore. So,
1: well, But uh, do you have to do it by hand? This is another question. Just because I did it by hand doesn't mean new generations should do it by hand. But, I
0: demand that they could do. <laughs> well, I mean, it's.
1: Uh, I still do that too because yeah. that's the only way I know. But this is a new environment. Mm-hmm. This is a new world. We have a lot of new opportunities, computers, all these uh, kids, you can just go out to a mall and you can see baby, babies in their cribs and they are mm-hmm. looking at uh, playing iPhones. <laughs> with iPhones. Yeah, so this My generation did that. <laughs> of course, and this generation is different. Yes. They are going to find their ways of uh, utilizing technology. But at the same time, uh, we have to do one major shift. I think uh, since 1980s, we have a uh, narrowed our focus more and more inward. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much uh, cross-fertilize ourselves among ourselves also. Okay. So, so we we're never becoming more siloed. More siloed. And uh, if you look at the uh, SP1 petrol literature, mm-hmm. we all reference each other. Yeah, That's y'all it. do. <laughs> but uh, we are very much close to the developments happening outside yeah. us so we need to bring those in yes and uh, in that one i think uh, there is a big responsibility for academia because for academia we have been teaching the same old material for the past 80 to 100 years Mm -hmm. most of our fundamental technologies in uh, the books they have not been updated Mm -hmm. and uh, this is not to say that we should teach unconventionals because unconventionals will not be new knowledge you can find the fundamental information in science and technology books. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, repackaging and uh, presentation Mm -hmm. to the students in their training program. Now that's one part from uh, the academia. We should broaden our uh, scientific and engineering Mm -hmm. basis so that the students can go out and uh, invent so get outside your discipline. Exactly. Be willing to ask those questions. But I will also put the blame on uh, the industry too. If (laughs) uh, the recruiters Mm -hmm. come to campus and uh, tell the students that uh, they will be retrained so (laughs) that uh, they know where the valve is, where the on and off button is and things like this, Mm -hmm. then uh, we are not giving them a good message. Correct. So I think uh, from both sides, we have to value this innovation, Mm -hmm. this uh, broader vision and everything rather than putting too much emphasis on hitting the ground running, Mm -hmm. meaning that uh, you are ready to use the tools, but uh, nobody really cares about your broader vision. Exactly. If we can go beyond this, I think uh, that will be hope.
0: You need to understand the engine as well as how to drive the car. Exactly. So for everyone, where do you see the biggest, I guess, pitfalls of well testing. Where? What are some of the skill sets or maybe just some of the analytical uh, vantage points that you would encourage people to maybe hone in a bit more so that they are not the biggest downfall of well testing and that well testing is useful?
1: Yes, I guess uh, this is quite uh, appropriate to ask these <laughs> days and the, the answer applies in many other areas too. But in well testing, we have uh, an interesting methodology. This is uh, based on recognizing some uh, known trends Mm -hmm. on the data. Mm -hmm. So basically, we just develop some theoretical models, and then we look at the field data and we compare them with the theoretical models. We say that this data looks like this picture. Mm -hmm. So whatever is uh, happening in this case, should be the same type of assumptions, same, same type of models I used to build mm-hmm. this model. Yeah. So this is the foundations of well testing and we are still using this. Now, if you don't understand the assumptions, if you don't understand the foundations of the models available in your toolbox, yeah. like in uh, software packages, you yeah. pull down the menu and you select some reservoir models. But if you don't understand what went into the building of these models, then when you match this model with some mm-hmm. field, uh, pressure versus time or rate versus time trend, mm-hmm. then uh, you will not really understand what type of uh, points you may be missing. Exactly. Or especially in terms of uh, a non-uniqueness issue, what other models mm-hmm. may be available to get the same type of signature. Mm-hmm. So. That's the important thing, understand what your models are, understand what your perceptions are, how limited or how broad they are, so that you can uh, do some critical evaluation of your decisions.
0: Okay, good, so understand the inputs so you can understand the outputs and actually take the time to do it. I agree, I think that's a big misconception, or not even a misconception, just a big hit and a miss that we do. We try to go so fast that we don't slow down to actually understand what the data is telling us. Where do you see? So, I mean, I guess on that point, we have a lot of people in industry who are almost conditioned to be yes men. However, in well testing, sometimes the answer is that there is no answer. So what's your advice to the leads, the management, when your engineer says, hey, we don't actually have a solution or really understand what's happening here just yet. How do you prevent how do you recommend we take and process the idea that sometimes the right answer is that there isn't an answer? Because that happens. That happens quite a bit.
1: Well, especially in well testing. Yeah. Because uh, anytime you see a pressure versus time data or rate versus time data, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it's a well test. Mm-hmm. Well test has some specific conditions, and the data are not always good. There are mm-hmm. a lot of outliers. If outliers are more than the actual trend, then this data are not usable. So there are a lot of uh, conditions to analyze the data and come up with some meaningful answer. However, there are two sides of this uh, question also. That's probably why I'm in academia for <laughs> so long. But if somebody comes to me with some data set and asks my uh, opinion or tell me to analyze it, I look at it and sometimes I say, no, I don't analyze this because this is not good data, or I this like cannot that you be analyzed. Well, I can do this, mm-hmm. but let's say I'm a consultant or Ooh. I'm an engineer <laughs> in the company, and someone comes to me and says, "Okay, you're the well testing expert, so you're the analyze expert. this." <laughs> yeah. nobody pays for the I don't know. That's true. Okay? so that's uh, that's where the dilemma is. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is at least a way to do this. You analyze it. And then in the end you write your report and the report says that okay caution i did this with these assumptions Mm -hmm. however there was not enough evidence to justify these assumptions so on so forth so don't forget to put this disclaimer Mm -hmm. and when i teach well testing this is one of the main things i ask the students to do Mm -hmm. in the end i ask them okay what you did and uh, what you think you missed or may affect your answers. Mm-hmm. So I expect them to put these types of discussions in the end of the reports. So in that case, they will be safe. <laughs> if the upper management wants to go the way, mm-hmm. way, well, you cannot change it. You give them what they ask you for. We can just do the best, though. But we just hope that, and I'm sure there is, a lot of uh, good managers mm-hmm. out there they would appreciate this approach Mm -hmm. and they will give you credit for what you do.
0: So your students, if they put those disclaimers in their test answers, they get A's?
1: Well, uh, I can tell you this. (laughs) In well testing, this is one of my first things when I assign the first homework problem. Mm -hmm. I say in this class, there is no right answer or wrong answer. Because uh, there is uh, my answer, there is your answer. Nobody can say that my answer is better than yours. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, that your answer does not look like mine, but as long as you use the right tools with right procedures mm-hmm. and follow up the suggestion to put some disclaimer in the end, then I will be willing to accept it. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean my experience does not count. Of course, I may be able to come up with some more defined <laughs> answers, but that still doesn't make it right. Yeah. So that's what well testing is.
0: All right, well, we need to pull up my old GPA and change some things. <laughs>
1: um,
0: where do you see the future of well testing going? How do you see it evolving over the next couple of years?
1: Next couple of years, there won't be any changes. That's, that's unfortunate,
0: because sure. we need it. We, we need to, this is such a universal tool. We need to apply
1: it better. Well, the reason I said this mm-hmm. is not uh, well testing. Oh. As you know... In uh, our industry,
0: mm-hmm.
1: time from idea to Acceptance, marketing, yeah, it's sixteen years. Really, and that's like
0: the average.
1: Well, that's the average, and even in uh, medicine, it's twelve to fourteen years. So okay. that's uh, that's not because it's uh, really difficult, but it's uh, the resistance. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, that is another thing. When you talk about well testing these days, well testing is uh, performed by software packages, Mm -hmm. mostly. It is similar to reservoir simulation. Now, there are a lot of new developments, a lot of new knowledge available, but they are not in the software packages Mm -hmm. or simulators. Why? Because somebody has to pay the cost, (laughs) right? Because software companies are not uh, charities.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're not charities. <laughs> they, they
1: have to put those into the software package if somebody pays for it. Mm-hmm. So the same thing happens with the software packages. Yes, they can include some to entice mm-hmm. people to support these developments, but it cannot happen in two years. That's why I said okay. up front it won't happen in two years. However, in general, I can also say that well testing will not change much Because if I say well-testing will change, then I must be saying that the fluid flow in porous media will change. Yes, yeah. This was my first comment when we started talking. Yeah. I see well-testing as fluid flow in porous media. Mm -hmm. And if you take well-testing as understanding of characteristics of fluid flow, you can apply it to unconventionals, conventionals, and next unconventionals. (laughs) It's going to be the same principles.
0: I like that. I like that. Well, I'm gonna do a hard shift on you and let's start talking about industry because I know that you've seen quite a bit lately in terms of volatility, we have elections coming up. And I would say from not only just a Colorado perspective, but from a lower 48 perspective, we're seeing a lot of hostility happen. And I know that you just got back from Bogota and had sort of an interesting experience there. So can you take us through what the international community is? doing, seeing, thinking in terms of what's happening in the oil and, oil and gas industry?
1: Yes, I think uh, first uh, we must understand what was happening in uh, Colombia. Okay. Colombia, one of uh, the older oil producing nat- uh, nations in yeah. uh, South America. But uh, lately, because the domestic production was uh, not uh, compatible with, okay. the price wise, with the price-wise, with the foreign oil. Mm-hmm. So they started buying from outside instead of producing from okay. domestic resources. So they yeah. started losing their ground. That was uh, the simple reason why Colombian uh, oil industry was uh, uh, failing.
0: So they're, they're a little behind compared.
1: It's, uh, it's the cost issue. Okay. It was more expensive to produce in Colombia than buying it from out outside. That's uh, the simple reason okay. why it was happening. And then, of course, they realized that uh, there was this huge resource of uh, unconventionals. Hmm. And uh, by the way, unconventionals, uh, unlike uh, common uh, understanding, it's not so difficult to find. We mm-hmm. know where unconventional resources are. Oh, yeah. It's it's only a matter of making economic production yes. from those. Yeah, so. They figured this out, they have unconventional resources, but uh, when they uh, thought about the development, suddenly all this uh, new uh, sentiment Mm -hmm. about the environment, fracturing, all these things came into play. And uh, when you just uh, look at it, uh, the way it happens in Colombia, it's also uh, material for the political uh, arguments.
0: You mean similar to how it is up here? Exactly.
1: (laughs) Politics are politics. Gotta love them. Here or there. And (laughs) then, uh, right now, a lot of people understand that uh, they need to get into this business. Yeah. Because uh, they need the resources. It's a developing nation. Correct. And uh, like all nations, they need cheaper and abundant energy.
0: Energy changes the face of nations. Exactly. Every time.
1: And uh, you cannot also live with the more expensive energy and think that you're serving your right. nation. That's, <laughs> that's, that's <true>. not possible <laughs> to. So politicians have this uh, dilemma mm-hmm. from uh, an environmentalist perspective, they have to uh, satisfy what people would like to see, but Correct. the bottom line is economics. Mm-hmm. So they know that uh, if they miss this bottom line, they will not uh, survive Mm -hmm. the process in the long run. Mm -hmm. What they wanted to do was uh, to benefit from the experience Mm -hmm. of uh, the United States, and uh, they wanted to make a good start. So that's what I saw, basically. And uh, the key discussion, first of all, is there scientific evidence that uh, fracturing is bad?
0: So they are looking for the same things that are the same me. questions that were being asked Short 20 me. years ago here. Well, okay. even today, yeah, I mean, well, we are asking yeah, yeah, the yeah. same questions. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, one thing I could just tell them that uh, they had to be careful mm-hmm. because uh, there are a lot of st- studies out there. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, two sides of the argument, they just uh, pick and choose what serves their purposes. And they define this as the science, and they just uh, reject exactly. the others.
0: Ignoring both sides of the argument is not science. That's called steering the narrative, and you need to stop it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to do this. This is number yeah. one. Two, we should also realize that uh, this is for everyone. We are all in the same boat. Correct. So if you find something that need, needs to be fixed, or if you find something it's bad, mm-hmm. then we have to definitely get away from it or mm-hmm. fix it or whatever. So whether in oil industry side or the other side, this, is, uh, this should be the general approach. Correct. But uh, the other side of the problem is that uh, if you just say that, uh, well, oil is bad, so even if there is some type of uh, concern, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure, but if there is some risk, then I'm not going to use it. Mm-hmm. We don't have that type of uh, luxury right yeah. now because there is no real replacement Correct. for oil at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear about uh, people switching to electric cars, but uh, <laughs> if you switch to electricity altogether, there is not that much uh, uh, renewable power available Correct. to support these cars. It's so called you still
0: power and storage. <laughs> exactly.
1: You have to use some type of fossil fuels here and there. So we need to understand the reality, Mm -hmm. and we need to understand that it's uh, an energy mix. So wherever and whenever it's available, use renewables or alternatives, whatever possible. But at the same time, do not try to destroy fossil fuels because it's a need. If you just destroy it, then you won't be able to put it back immediately you can take us back several centuries in civilization by destroying our uh, structure for energy. Because Mm -hmm. what created this uh, civilization is the availability of energy resources. So that was uh, one of the messages Mm -hmm. I wanted to give to them. The other one is uh, legislation Mm -hmm. is important. And uh, nobody can say that uh, having no legislation is good. (laughs) <laughs> no. Everybody should... It'd be a free-for-all. Of course. Of course. But, then uh, when you put uh, some uh, legislations to uh, limit mm-hmm. some of the activities, definitely there will be some consequences. And these and consequences... Really bad consequences. Well, it's economic. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Money does not understand politics or the human sentiments or anything. Mm-hmm. Money looks for profit. Yeah. Now if you just uh, burden oil industry or the energy industry that much with the uh, legal mm-hmm. uh, restrictions, then uh, they will find their way to another mm-hmm. uh, investment area. and then Which is unfortunate. Which is unfortunate, but what will be the consequence is obvious also. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your oil price will increase, mm-hmm. and then money will find out that uh, it was wrong. Yeah. Decision, They will start coming back. But in between, we are going to miss an opportunity. Mm-hmm. There will be a lot of uh, maybe uh, lost uh, development opportunities for these un- uh, underdeveloped countries, so exactly. on and so forth. So that's uh, the idea. When you develop uh, legislation, look at the United States. Mm-hmm. Look at others. Don't think that we are doing everything right. That's another message. But, you know, look There's always room for improvement. Of course. And look at it. Find your uh, lessons. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, apply what really works for your case. Otherwise, this is good. This is bad. If you are looking for black and white type of answers, Mm -hmm. this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, the message I tried to give to them.
0: I like that you went back to legislation, because look at Eastern Europe, look at even what's happening in upstate New York, look at places in California. We have a lack of fair and you know, adequate pipeline infrastructure for midstream. People are actually freezing to death because of the winter systems. And it is allowing um, political unrest between countries, because all you have to do is turn off the tap if it's your pipeline. So really working on that legislation and not hindering, but allowing everything to move forward, I think it's a great point and I'm so glad you made it. Um, let's go back to the shale boom. Cause you know, everyone's favorite topic. Where do you see the peaks and pits and future of this? Cause you've already said we will continue and I couldn't agree more, but what do you think is going to happen? How How is the shale boom going to sort of revolutionize during this, this bit of a pit, this prolonged pit that we're in? What do you think is going to happen in the 48 that's going to affect the international community?
1: I think uh, what I liked about uh, shale mm-hmm. was another indication that uh, we would always find a way to stay in business. I got my PhD in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and my PhD dissertation was on horizontal wells. It was probably first or one of the first horizontal well PhDs well, at that time. Well, how I-
0: forward of you, that's <laughs> awesome. Well,
1: it was, it was a new topic, yeah. and it just happened to be you know, my interest, so we did it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what horizontal wells did in the 1980s, because of this uh, unfavorable economic conditions and mm-hmm. everything, Oil industry was losing ground and the horizontal wells, because they reduced the number of wells we needed to drill and it increased our flow rates and everything. It gave us better economics, Mm -hmm. so we survived. Mm -hmm. And then we came to 2000s and shale. Shale,
0: shale, shale.
1: (laughs) Another life. Mm -hmm. So today we are producing from shale, which used to be impermeable barrier. It was your cap. (laughs) It was our capstone, right? Yeah. So today we are producing from this one. So what have we learned? If there is a need, we're going to find a way. I like that. To make it. That means uh, what we learned through shale. First of all, uh, we are resilient. Mm -hmm. So we are not going away just because there is a challenge. This Mm -hmm. is number one. Two, with shale, fortunately we started opening up our vision. Today, we are not just using old standard uh, uh, textbook type of practices. Mm -hmm. Like Darcy's law is the law (laughs) to solve everything type Mm -hmm. of approach. Now we are looking at uh, different mechanisms. We are uh, applying different technologies. And uh, we are slowly starting importing some other technologies from other disciplines. Mm -hmm. So in the long run, there will be if shale does not survive, there's negative publicity or anything else, we'll find another way. Mm-hmm. Because people need oil and gas. Yes. And we are going to find them what they need. Mm-hmm. And we are going to develop the technologies to make it happen.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. I-, I completely agree with that. Um, what's your favorite oil field story?
1: <sighs> well... It's either my failing memories or having too many of them. So <laughs> I guess uh, I will not be able to tell you a favorite uh, oil field story, but I can tell you something mm-hmm. which uh, you know, I shared with uh, our students over the years. We take our students to field sessions. Yes. And uh, uh, a few times uh, we went to Los uh, California mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, all these uh, California, despite today, they are not oil friendly. It was one of uh, the best places for the oil industry. Yeah, in it still kind of is. It's <laughs> still kind of, yes. And uh, when we go to Bakersfield, mm-hmm. I used to uh, stop at the top of uh, a hill and uh, bring students out and ask them, What do you see outside? They would see all this. Uh, Rusted uh, oil field machinery and pipes and things like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, why was it there? Because in the past, we did not realize that that would be a bad footprint. Yeah. And today, we cannot do this. I love that. However, <laughs> in the past, because we did not realize it, it's there and we did not put any money aside. Yeah. Nobody is picking them up. And most of the pictures we are seeing today are because of this old Mm -hmm. practice Mm -hmm. and uh, i think oil industry we made a lot of mistakes yeah and uh, we learned a lot from those but there are still mistakes to be made Mm -hmm. and there are still lessons to be learned Mm -hmm. so instead of giving you a story per se i just wanted to give you some type of observation
0: i love that you took him to an oil field graveyard and now they can't even tell where a wellhead is. That's exactly. kind of amazing. But that's, I mean, that is such a huge accomplishment for our industry. I love that.
1: Yes.
0: Um, so, diffusivity. <laughs> what is it?
1: Well, let me give you an indirect <laughs> answer. Today, in unconventionals, we talk about uh, parent-child well, interactions. It's
0: everyone's favorite we topic. We talk about
1: <laughs> uh, all these interferences between wells mm-hmm. and drainage areas and everything. Based on diffusivity concept, if you drill two wells in the same field, they will always interfere.
0: Yep.
1: So that's the diffusivity, okay? <laughs> any type of disturbance, any type of pressure disturbance you create, it is going to uh, travel. mm mm-hmm. In uh, porous media defined by the diffusivity constant, mm-hmm. and uh, any point in the reservoir, small or big, they will see the effect of this pressure disturbance. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, diffusion, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, today we still define diffusion based on pressure gradient. Correct. So, under the effect of pressure grad- gradient, fluids move from high pressure to low pressure point defined by the diffusivity Mm -hmm. of the system.
0: I need you to derive it for me right here, right now.
1: Well, you know what? You may be surprised (laughs) that I'm not very good at this. And uh, that's another thing.
0: Elio made me ask that question.
1: (laughs) Well, Elio thinks that uh, I can do all these derivations (laughs) even in my sleep. But uh, that's not true. I make a lot of mistakes, and uh, I must say that I waste a lot of paper <laughs> in doing these derivations, but I don't give up.
0: I like that don't give up. Nope. Well, don't worry, I wasn't actually going to make you do it. But you were quite busy. So and you've probably developed some tips, tricks and how to stay effective, mm. proficient, proactive during your day. Do you have any that you have realized have really set you apart from your, your team, your competition, your peers in order to help you get ahead in life that you could share with us?
1: Well, who tells you that I'm ahead of anybody else in life? Uh, that's uh, me. Well, <laughs> your no. position,
0: your papers, no. uh, your career. Let's see, do I need to keep going? Uh, everything else that we can find you online? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I may seem to be ahead of some people, mm-hmm. but that's because I started earlier. Oh, okay? haha, that's, okay, I like that's that. one thing, <laughs> and uh, the other one is uh, you know, efficiency. Definitely, it's a good measure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish I could define myself as an efficient person. (laughs) And uh, I repeat so many times what I do because I never trust myself, even my calculations. Mm -hmm. And uh, even after I say this is my final version, I still know that someone can find an error there, and I'm (laughs) ready to accept it. So uh, I think uh, the key is uh, not to give up. That's uh, what I do. I'm not really efficient, Mm -hmm. but if I need to sleep less to get it done, that's what I do. I like that. And uh, if I need to sacrifice some other things, Mm -hmm. I do this. I'm not recommending that because Mm -hmm. my wife hates it, (laughs) of course. But uh, in uh, time, in life, I learned about uh, the priorities Mm -hmm. when I was uh, first starting. My teaching career. Yeah. I used to teach uh, four courses every semester. Four new courses.
0: That's a lot.
1: It was a lot. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, your family life suffers from this. Correct. Now, of course, uh, they don't make me teach four courses here. But uh, <laughs> who what, do I talk to about huh? that? <laughs> I I learned one thing. I say, well, when I go home, I spend. Uh, My quality time with my family. Mm -hmm. If I have to do something still at home, then I wait until everybody goes to bed. Mm -hmm. And then I use my own sleeping time Mm -hmm. to do this. So that has been my rule in life.
0: It's funny, all of you uh, influencers in this industry, y'all will give up so much for the data. I mean, like, You've, you've made such strides for us as new engineers and you've carved such pathways, but everybody sort of says they've realized, don't give up on the relationships and, and sacrifice of the data. And yet y'all have done so much for us because of that. So could not thank you more, but I'm glad that you were able to pass that life lesson down. What is a book, podcast, or other resource that has brought you value that you would recommend to anyone?
1: Mm. Now, again, this is uh, a tough one for me because uh, (laughs) in my courses, I don't use textbooks. You don't? I don't, and uh, there are two reasons for this. One, I have never found a book which is complete (laughs) to say everything or perfect Mm -hmm. to say everything in the way I wanted to read. Therefore, if I assign 10 books, then poor students could not afford it. No, I so was <laughs> no, one of those poor students, yeah. we cannot. <laughs> no, so it's, uh, I, don't, I don't look at the books or podcasts or anything like, okay, this is perfect. I should keep this in mind. Yeah. I learn it, I hear it, I move to the next one. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you say that this is the best, then you may be stuck there. You don't go to the next. Mm-hmm. I always feel that if somebody could do this, somebody else must have done something even better. So I keep looking for this other one. So my suggestion to people would be to keep reading, keep (laughs) listening, keep exploring, and uh, don't think that uh, because they found something good, that's the end of the (laughs) search.
0: I love that. Well, Dr. Ozkan, thank you so much for taking the time today. You have provided such value. I love your take on well testing. I truly believe it is a universal fundamental that everyone can benefit from going back to. So thank you for taking us through it. And I cannot wait. Everything you've provided to us is completely actionable. So I can't wait for the next time I can convince you to do one of these.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. It was quite a pleasure.
0: (laughs) So what did you guys think about this Back to Basics episode? Dr. Oskan has a great story, great insights, and is truly a master of his craft. Well testing is one of the most universal and most challenging technical skills in this industry, but progression without foundation is not possible. And he's right. Oil and gas is not going anywhere. So let's make our future as progressive and successful as possible. Anyway, if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot them to me via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Hold on. One more thing before you go. If today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement. And until next week, give them hell.